0: Welcome to the Procurement Show.
1: Hello and welcome to the Procurement Show, the show that tackles the topics we all need to think about and sets out to explore the more interesting bits of procurement. I'm Jonathan O'Brien and I'm Paul Philpott. You can just call me Chat PP. <laughs> this week we're thinking about the future of procurement and we're honoured to be joined by one of the leading lights in the procurement community. She's a leading futurist, a much sought-after keynote speaker, and author of now two leading procurement books, the much-acclaimed book Disruptive Procurement, And the most recent book, Trade Wars, Pandemics and Chaos, has just been released. She's also a partner at Carney. And please welcome to The Procurement Show, Dr. Eloise Epstein.
0: Eloise, welcome. It's a pleasure and a privilege to have you on the show.
2: It's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing, enabling the future of procurement in organizations around the globe.
1: Your LinkedIn post to launch your new book and i've got a copy of your new book here he which i've started reading i've got to say it's essential reading if you read <laughs> one thing in the next two months read that book because it reframed so many things in procurement you said i set out to prove whether or not digital procurement is real but after writing this book i've concluded that now is the greatest time to be in procurement now that's quite a claim tell us why
2: i've been a bit of an old timer, and I've witnessed the evolution and growth and maturity of the procurement profession. And where we were from 2000 to 2010 versus 2010 to 2015 versus 2016 to present, more or less, is vastly different, and we've gone from very labor intensive ways of doing more sophisticated procurement in that first time frame all the way up to present, where digital is really influencing and changing dramatically how we do procurement and how we even think about the role. And it's changing every day. It seems like it's changing. And it's not just the tech that's coming, but the level of capabilities by the practitioners, the leadership. Mm -hmm. We're not perfect by any means, but we have certainly taken quite a journey over the last 20 plus years.
3: And when it comes to the future of procurement, it seems like we never quite managed to see through, I suppose, the mist. (laughs) No, can't get there. It seems that people can only talk about the future of procurement by using the word you've just said. I want to quote your LinkedIn profile, that you dislike jargon. So when everybody throws around the D word or digital, it seems that it just doesn't mean anything specific and people don't really know what it means. It winds me up. What is the future of procurement? But without using the D word,
2: Just with regard to the D word, let me answer that because I actually didn't know what it was and how to define it back in 2015, 2016. And I thought, well, I'm just the idiot. So I asked everybody at Carney that I could find, including our digital practice, and I didn't get a clear answer. And so in my current book, which you have there, I actually lay it out and I just say it's very simple. It's taking technology, data, and analytics and using that to create supply and demand power. Mm -hmm. And that's for procurement at least. And it's a very simple definition and we can adjust it and we can debate it. But it's simple, it's clear, and we know what we're doing. Now, certainly it gets thrown around a lot. However, in terms of the future of procurement, I like to anchor in especially in September of 2023, it's very easy to say AI and the autonomous organization and all this other jargony nonsense. But what I like to do is I do brand myself as a futurist, although I'm changing that perhaps we can come back to that. But what I like to do is imagine the art of a possible that's anchored in the reality of today And I think that's different than when people just say, well, chat GPT is going to do our RFPs or whatever else that we hear so often or see on LinkedIn ad nauseum. And so my goal here is to really talk about what's the big leap that we can make. And so I'll sort of tease this by saying that for procurement, we have to get ourselves out of the purchasing process, out of the transactional, whether that's the sourcing, the category management, or the requisitioning, or the chasing of invoices. If we're doing that, then we haven't adopted the technology part of digital. So if we do that and we get ourselves out of the transactions, which so much of a, what we do is transactional-based Then we get to the strategic, that's where we start to take data and the analytics and we create intelligence. And I would argue, and this is what I'll set up perhaps for a follow-up question, is that that gets us more into the end-to-end supply chain view versus just simply processing or doing purchasing. And so, to me, the future is where we take that intelligence and become integral parts of end-to-end supply chain operations.
1: It feels like there's a number of key steps here. And if we think about some of those steps that have happened, if you look at a sort of current good strategic procurement function, they'll be doing category management well. Mm -hmm. And remember, a lot of people don't do it well. They'll be doing SRM well. Perhaps they've even started to automate some of the routine spend and stuff like that. So, you know, there's the kind of current stuff as well. Sustainable procurement clearly high on the agenda for everybody right now. But some companies are starting to play with tech and data and they're using all those buzzwords that are around at the moment. But there's one common factor, I think, and that is that we need highly skilled people to do Something and it feels like that's changing in terms of what those skilled people do, what their role is, how they're piloting procurement. Will that change? And what do you think the procurement practice of the future looks like in terms of people?
2: Well, you're asking such small questions. (laughs) (laughs) So let me pull on a couple threads in that question. One is, okay, yes, we're doing category management and supplier relationship management and all the things that we do. Let's just magically say everybody's using or is doing category management or SRM in the way that we've designed and imagined and talked about it. The reality is, Technology or intelligence-based technology is now changing how we do that. When you look at the emerging category management tools, and I'm oversimplifying for effect here, just to be clear, I click a button, I get a category strategy. I click a button and I get intelligence about the supply market and what I should do in that supply market or what I should do about my relationships or the number of suppliers I have, all of a sudden, those tasks that we do today, which we might be using digital tools and we might be doing, executing okay, actually can be accelerated like significantly. And so what happens when we do that? Then the second thread I would pull on is the people. The people, we need to get them to understand that, A, you can start to adopt these tools. We have to develop the digital literacy to understand that and then to make use of these tools, I'll try not to go on a rant here, but one of the things that drives me bananas about the whole chat GPT is applied to procurement is everybody's running around saying, Hey, I can chat GPT an RFP. Well, that's great. And then you chat GPT it, and then your supplier chat GPTs the response. Well, maybe we don't even need to do the RFP. And so sometimes we have to reimagine how we're doing procurement. And that's where end the third thread in that is that if we can bring intelligence to our supply base and to the organization, then that really allows us to elevate and really look at and influence the broader supply chain, as I've intimated here.
3: This is all very scary stuff. Three months ago, six months ago, for sure. ChatGPT wasn't even a thing. No. You didn't even know about it. You're a futurist. You obviously have a grasp on AI and that AI was coming. Could you see that something like ChatGPT was so close around the corner and that functions like procurement and marketing, advertising, all those, that we would be using it so quickly?
2: If I had predicted that, I'd be a lot richer, uh, <laughs> or I'd be rich and retired, really. AI has entered the zeitgeist, especially in our day-to-day lives, and it's hit that inflection point, point. and it's impossible, or I would argue it's fairly impossible to predict those inflection points, what I have been studying for a long time. Obviously, I've been studying AI for a long time, and this gets back to the previous question about talent. One of the things we as practitioners, and by the way, we as a global society need to develop algorithmic literacy, our lives are being dictated to, driven by, manipulated by algorithms. Mm. So we as people, and this is what I've been studying extensively, we need to understand how these algorithms work. When we say, and I hate this term, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it, but data is the new oil. There is something to that, because it's not the algorithms themselves, it's the data that we feed into them. And how do those algorithms react when we feed them data? There's data exhaust from all of us, we walk into a room, data follows us, we leave a room, we leave data behind. And then of course, digitally, there's data everywhere, there's data in our cars that we're generating and exhausting. And so my goal is to really get us to understand how these algorithms work. Granted, more regulations are coming, which is good, but also just to interact with them. And so when we do that, we can be much smarter, at least consumers of algorithms, especially in our work environments in procurement. And then when somebody comes in and says, AI this, AI that, we should be able to be better buyers of that technology or users of that technology and swat away i would be so thrilled if every practitioner could just swat away the nonsense when somebody comes in touting ai this or ai Mm. that see my
1: uh, dog's doing ai now (laughs)
2: No, it's worked out. It
1: worked out. You know, it's looked at the inputs and it's worked out different things it can do to get a biscuit. And it's figured it all out. It's got a little data set and everything and just looks at me with the big eyes. And if that doesn't work, it goes to plan B and gives me a little nick, Mm. stuff like that doing AI. You're throwing around that term as well that we use, data. Yeah. But I think there's a thing, and Eloise, I think you hit on something, because this is such a new mm. thing for us all, and it's like you've got to go out and use ChatGPT because everybody else is using it and you're being left behind and I'm so glad you mentioned we're seeing these things on LinkedIn where people are doing RFPs by putting it into ChatGPT and it's producing something, yeah it's something, <laughs> it's perhaps yeah. not a good RFP, but because everybody else is doing it, there's this sort of pressure to be saying, hey, you know, I surfing the wave here because i'm using chat gpt i'm doing ai and let's be honest most of the things that claim ai really aren't no ai thank you you've got to say it because you're going to be left behind well, people jump on is buzzwords. what my dog's, doing. business leaders jump on
3: buzzwords when you define a project you use buzzwords yeah. i mean i like the term algorithmic literacy i've I, written a great, that down i've written it down as well actually literally <laughs> there right in front of me but we also talked about data yes and we all know that data comes in very different sizes small medium and big data <laughs> there's another catchphrase is procurement function making the best use of data and when it needs to consider data how careful should it be when it comes to collecting all that data and analyzing it and is procurement still missing a trick what should it be
2: thinking about sorry i have to go back to the chat gpt thing so i have a quote in my new book that says if you're over 30 i don't care what you have to say about chat gpt And I think there is something (laughs) to that because there's a bias and it's not an ageist thing, but what I really want to get away from is and push us is the real breakthroughs will come from those that are not encumbered by the business as usual. And everybody Mm -hmm. over 30 has been in the workforce for at least a decade. Mm -hmm. And so that really makes a difference about how we think about just looking at the problem with fresh eyes. I'll also say this about the chat GPT RFPs and whatnot. Remember, business is about relationships. And Mm. increasingly, we manage those relationships at some level through our human connection and the decision-making process, at least. There's some humanity there. So we can't just abstract the human out of that. So I think it's really important to flag those two things in the midst of all this chat GPT hype. Now, to the other question about data, No, I don't think we're remotely using the data that we have or need. And I think part of that is when I go into my clients, they don't even have their supplier golden records in order. If you don't have your supplier golden records in order, then what is your job? You're really not doing your job at that point. So there's the question of just the data we have, are we using it? Absolutely not. We're not even remotely leveraging it. But then there's the question that few people are asking is, what's the data I need or want? And I do a case study in my new book. And one of the companies that I interviewed, their category manager, Are required to submit a category data plane, which asks and starts to get them to think about what data they should be submitting or asking for. And I really like that and highlight that because that's an important change in the way we operate. Ultimately, what I want is taking ownership of what we want tool wise, data wise, and what are the analytics we're going to produce.
0: The Procurement Show exploring the more interesting bits about procurement. And now, the procurement fun fact. This edition's exciting tale of preposterous procurement, bizarre buying or simply saucy sourcing. The final
1: supplier presentation as part of a supply selection process can be what determines if that supplier gets the contract or not. So suppliers will find very creative ways to make their pitch the one that lands more than any others. None less so than in the world of marketing agencies working to convince procurement in the wider business where some of the stunts that have been pulled include a sales team breaking into song to sing their proposal, requesting a dance-off and arranging a small aeroplane to skywrite a message in the sky, visible from the boardroom.
0: The procurement fun fact. Contact us by email. Hello at show.com. Send us a tweet at Procurement Show or connect with us on LinkedIn. Search for The Procurement Show.
3: You've just said that the procurement function isn't collecting, isn't in a position where it's able to use data in the right way. Therefore, how can we all be
1: trusted to use data? ai and chat gpt which surely <laughs> which, needs be, which needs the data right absolutely and i think that's it and for me and i'm really encouraged to hear you say this we haven't even begun to figure out the data we need let alone know where it is or how to get at it so the fact that people say data is everything it probably is but we've still got a long way to go what do you think eloise
2: absolutely and it's a very easy way to judge analytical or data and analytics maturity I'll hit this from two sides. So I'll hit the practitioner first, and then, but I'll come back to the vendors too. When clients walk into a client and they tell me, oh, we've got Power BI or we just took Tableau training, that's good, but that is two levels removed from intelligence because the Power BI and Tableau, their data visualization tools, they'll tell you what's in the data. They won't mine the data for the insights. And so I like to talk about the data value chain where we have data, we have visualization of the data to tell us what's in it. Then we have analysis of the data, which tells us what could happen, what should happen, what is the best outcome. Then we have intelligence. And intelligence is not only the analytics or what comes out of the analytics, but it's also the business strategy. Because that's the context for the analytics. Because the analytics might say, oh, well, just pull all your suppliers out of China. Well, okay, yeah, that's fine. But that doesn't mean there's good alternates or that that's even remotely feasibly possible. And so that's that I really want to get folks to understand the data value chain. Mm. Now, on the corollary side, every tech vendor walks into my clients and says, we've got analytics we've got intelligence, we've got this and that. And when you look under the covers, they have visualization. They do not have either analytics or intelligence because as you get to analytics and intelligence, it's going to become more increasingly bespoke. And so no vendor could hope to do that or at least to do that at scale. So again, we have to be more discerning about what we're buying because a risk tool, an ESG tool, Even our pricing tool is only going to show you so much that's not contextualized for a particular enterprise.
1: Let's talk a bit about ESD because I know you and I are both very passionate about that. We're very passionate about sustainable procurement and how we make it part of what we do. And it feels to me like there's a huge, huge role for technology here. And in particular, this data, wherever it may reside. And more specifically, how do we begin to understand what's happening in supply chains? Because that's the first step to understanding, are they sustainable? What do we need to do? Looking very specifically at ESG, what are the things that you think we'll see that will help us do that?
2: Well, I'd like to see some decent ESG tools because what's out in the market is pretend ESG. Or at least phase zero. I should be more <laughs> delicate. Oh, about I was going to
3: say you you don't hold back, do you? This is good. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. uh, a survey, a internet scan of news sites, even an audit at scale like those are designed to be at scale tools, and there's nothing wrong with that. But just because you put a survey out doesn't mean that the supplier understood what the intention was. I've watched many or evaluated many RFP responses come back or even the questions that are just so bizarrely worded and that nobody could hope to ever answer the question in a way that would be useful. And in fact, a lot of RFP responses are just check the box exercise. And do you take cybersecurity training? Yes or no? Well, if you answer yes, then okay, great. But if you look at the cybersecurity training, you find that all of them are terrible. These learning management systems that we quote unquote take to learn cybersecurity, they're nonsensical or just flat out trash. They don't teach us anything. So yes, we checked the survey that we do cybersecurity training, but we're no more protected than we were before we answered that question or before we even rolled out that program. And the same is true for ESG. Okay, so we want to understand the carbon capture of our supply base. Great. But do they even understand it? Do they have the resources? Mm, yeah. And if you want to go back to the big D that we talked about at the beginning, why did blockchain fail? Blockchain was going to be all of this great yeah. technology. Well, ultimately it failed because you're talking about rolling it out to tens, twenty, 20, 30,000 suppliers, most of whom are non-technical. And even if you just roll that out to your top 100 suppliers, trying to manage the blockchain at such an early stage of its development, that's never going to happen. And so I think we keep looking for quick fixes and By quick fixes, I mean throwing a digital solution at something that is really complicated. And I write a lot about applying digital to ESG. It's just in its infancy. And that's okay, but let's not conflate that with actually making progress. I know I'm about to get into a lecture mode here, but if I could just say one more thing about the news scraping. The news scraping is biased because even if you scrape the web for tens of millions or hundreds of millions of articles that's only what's published. And that's only what's published in English or translatable. So many of the risks around ESG or the problems are in areas where there are newspapers, there's failed governments, there's things you have to put boots on the ground to see. And so I want to put a big C caution around our throwing digital at the esg problem
1: that's really really Mm. insightful very good
3: point you mentioned blockchain blockchain seems so last season now doesn't (laughs) it It does
2: yeah
3: (laughs) (laughs) okay so what are the pitfalls in all of this say for example we have complete supply chain transparency and we can see everything that's happening at a remote supplier and be using all this data driven procurement are there any downsides that we need to look out for
2: Well, certainly security is going to be a big one. And so back to my cybersecurity example, if you're going to plumb your supplier systems, even if you segment it and put it in a demilitarized zone in the cloud, you still are exchanging vast amounts of data. Mm -hmm. So we as practitioners need to have a better understanding of data systems and architecture of where data goes from here to there, how we secure APIs, because APIs, while great for integrating, can have security problems. And even so, there's also questions about, are we looking at all the data? Okay, so we're getting all the production line data, but are we getting data from the wastewater? Are we getting data from movements inside or outside the building? Are we getting health and safety data? It gets back to just understanding what's the totality of the data we can have. And then, of course, what do we do with it?
1: I want to come back to the AI thing, because we Mm. talked about this, and we're really clear that actually a lot of the things that claim to be AI are not AI, but it feels like there's some sort of role for AI in the future. You know, you can't move without something being AI. However, if I think about what is happening out there in the world at large, you know, we are actually beginning to use this we're beginning to use it to find creative solutions to things that didn't exist before in your industry paul in the media industry the voiceover industry you know that's an industry where you can get a voiceover generated by an ai thing that will be as good as the original well right? we're
3: obviously not promoting that you know obviously I, would, I would disagree <laughs> that but yeah you know otherwise i'll replace you <laughs>
1: So maybe it's not that good.
3: But what you're saying is right. A lot of jobs, a lot of
1: industries are definitely being heavily touched and influenced by AI. Yes, carry on. So where there's an opportunity to create something, Mm. AI has a role. Whether it's graphics, we learned this week that the first signing of an AI recording artist as well the song i think Mm -hmm. is being written by a human but the music and the voice is completely synthetic so this is happening at pace out there in the world at large and then you add to that things like how machine learning predicts things like customer demand i know we're getting into these buzzwords again when i look at procurement and we're talking about using chat GPT for doing Mm. an rfp (laughs) which isn't really where it's at feels like we're in the slow lane here But yet there still must be some big role that AI can have to help us create something for the future. What is that? How will AI power procurement into the future?
2: Well, certainly what you're seeing today is the automation of tailspin. I've used that category management example earlier. Once we start to adopt these core technologies. So AI can be baked into a category management tool. It can be baked into a requisition tool. It can be baked into a spend analytics tool. And it should be. And to some degree it is, and we don't see it because we're not buying AI. We're buying a spend visibility tool, which has AI in the background. And that's okay. That's good. We like that. But we also need to start thinking about marketplaces and doing our requisitions in broader marketplaces. And that's going to be enabled by AI. So we have some fundamentals that we haven't solved yet. Now there's vendors that are evolving, emerging. We need to adopt them, get them in. So we are not chasing contracts. We are not having contracts renew because nobody looked at the expiration dates or that the trigger to look at the renewal didn't send it to the right place or the person that's no longer with the company. like These are just fundamental errors that we can fix and we should fix today. And AI will be enablers to the tools that will fix that. If I imagine where we're going, we need to think about what role we're playing and how we're bringing AI in. And Certainly, as we think about end to end supply chain, so I keep bringing this up, but what's the greatest risk to our enterprises? It's through third parties. Hmm. And especially we have 30, 40, 50,000 suppliers. Like third parties are hitting our systems and they're relatively unmanaged. So our job is to help protect that because the CIO is not looking at that. Nobody else is looking at that. And then you flip it around, the greatest opportunity for ESG progress is through our third parties. And so how can we enable that? And I think that's where AI will come in and help us to do that at scale, whether it's building layers of defense or extending out into our supply base and helping them bring them along. Because I think AI will give us the scale to solve some of the challenges with our smaller suppliers that I was talking about. And I think that just in general, bring a level of efficiency and competency. So while the recording artist and the generative stuff that's going to disrupt this and do that, it's all exciting. But in procurement, I think we're well on our way. And So I'm not too fixated on the big bang as much as the day-to-day fundamentals.
3: Okay, so let's consider the real world scenarios then, things that are happening now. What is the innovation? What are the new things that tech companies are bringing to the market today and just around the corner that will truly change the game?
2: Without a doubt, the big push has been on intake. So this is actually going to get to the Gen AI, where I think it's the most impactful. So if we think about the intake process, whether it's intake for demand or just basic requisitioning, The idea that we just have a text box and the user can type what they want, and then behind the scenes, the little AI or the bot, whatever you want to call it, goes and says, oh, well, we don't have a supplier for 3D printers. Let me go run a sourcing event. Let me pull the supply market. Let me pull all that information in that the user doesn't even have to see. The user can just interact with that data. Or another example I like to use is, okay, the requisitioner wants a laptop. Well, today they have to go to a requisition tool, do a search. If we're lucky, the results will come back from one catalog, but we know that's not usually the case. And the results will come back from like 10 catalogs and you have to sift through. And finding the right product is difficult. And I love love looking at requisition systems and just doing basic searches and seeing that you get multiple results of the same thing. Like the search engines in these things are terrible. Well, why as a user should I ever have to do that? I should be able to just go to my little chat window and say, I want a laptop. And then the AI should bring back what are our approved models. So you're talking and about, using talked about out-
3: natural language interfaces within this scenario.
2: Right, exactly. also think broader because we assume that so much of our... Process management, quote unquote, is decision trees. If this, then that. Well, I'm talking about AI in the terms of I set the starting point, the end point and the constraints, and I don't care what the user does as long as they get the outcome. And remember, I was talking about algorithmic literacy. If algorithms in our daily life can manipulate our behavior, and there's plenty of evidence that proves that these algorithms manipulate us into buying more, watching more, doing more, why can we not use those same algorithms to direct users to the outcome that we want, whether it's price or ESG or whatever? We don't have to design to the nth degree on process management. In fact, we could take process management and throw it out the window because if we have truly used interpretive gen AI, then that whole thing I just described facilitates the whole transaction. It's time to ask Jonathan.
3: And today's Ask Jonathan comes from Peggy Brown in Arkansas, who says... Uh, Arkansas. 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 Not
1: Arkansas. Arkansas. Yeah, you can't say it as it's spelt, because the people of Arkansas get very upset. I think
3: I've always said that, Arkansas. Really? Is it really Arkansas? It's Arkansas. No. Yeah. Okay, so today's Ask Jonathan comes from Peggy Brown in Arkansas. Arkansas Thank you. who writes yep. everything I've ever learned about category management seems to be focused around cost saving mm-hmm. yep. I'm now starting to question that I'm also starting to question category management
1: Is it stays numbered? Yeah I've been asked this question before and the answer to that is no because it's something that's based upon sound economic principles. It's just how you practice it and how you decide what it is you're setting out to get. So 20 years ago everything was about category management Mm. as a vehicle to drive significant savings. So you get what you start with. If you start by saying we want to get savings that is an approach that allows you to understand a marketplace, engage with the business, understand the power position you have and be to drive in the optimum category sourcing strategy. But of course, right now, savings cost management is important but what's also important is how sustainable are our supply chains what sort of value can we get from the right relationships with our suppliers how much risk are we exposed to where's the next generation of innovation coming from and not only what's happening with our suppliers what's happening in our supply chains as well especially in terms of sustainability and can we mitigate the price increase that's just been driven through onto us so what our needs are as an organisation and as a procurement function have changed. If we hold on to that savings thing, we're missing a trick, we're probably out of line with what the organisation is trying to do. Instead, if we start by saying, what is it that the organisation is trying to achieve here and what sort of intervention does it need from its supply base, then that means we set out to do category management, perhaps with sustainability as our goal, perhaps with innovation as a goal, and that might be coupled with right price, mitigating price increases. So it's all about what we set out to get from it. But a lot of the stuff that's out there, published and talking about category management, still very much talks about it as a savings vehicle. That's an old, outdated way of looking at it. You've got to look at it as a value vehicle, Mm -hmm. and you've got to define the value that you need. Thank you, good answer. So,
3: no matter where you are from Arkansas, (laughs) I <laughs> can't believe you to did that Katmandu. Poor Peggy If you've got a question to ask Jonathan Here's how to get
0: in touch Ask Jonathan Email your question to Jonathan at theprocurementshow.com You might be part of the next show The Procurement Show The Latest Thinking The Greatest Insights
1: And if there was one big disruptor that you see is about to happen, whether it's technology, whether it's a company, what is that?
2: I'm going to stick on intake for a second, Mm. because if intake plays out like I suspect it will, it will become the organizing umbrella and it will put all the source to pay systems or even if you look at my spider map, all the startups the threat to everybody is that they become sublimated to the intake system. So you still have this whole expansion of different capabilities, but all of a sudden it's under the umbrella of the intake tool. And so that would fundamentally reset the whole procure tech equation if you're buying procure tech. Wow. And I think... That can't be understated because that means all of the legacy source-to-pay systems will immediately be under immense scrutiny and pressure more so than they are today. And the billions upon billions of Q-tech investment, while well played out, may fall victim to a massive technological innovation.
3: May I bring the conversation back to people, to the three of us here and everyone, the 10 million listeners that we have out there, of course, (laughs) and then some. And And your mum. And my mum. Let's say that now is the greatest time ever to be in procurement. There's so much technological innovation, but it all relies on us. We have to use that technology. What's the skill set that I need in order to make my new path through procurement? Should I be a procurement expert or would I be better place if I was going to be a data scientist and then work in procurement? What does the procurement professional of the future look like? And are there any skill sets that perhaps we're missing that we should learn to adopt?
2: I think we can take all of the core procurement skills and distill them down into a two-hour training and be done. The, The skills that we spend days and weeks and months or maybe make it a two-day training session in person. But because most of those skills are getting eradicated, we've talked about several of them already. I don't even need the 30 years of experience buying chemicals or buying fill-in-the-blank category, like buy IT software or anything IT, because I can go to, there's vendors in the marketplace that will just give me what I should be paying for X license. And they might even negotiate that for me on my behalf. So I don't even need to build up a full category management function or even perhaps a category management function at all. So the traditional procurement skills, I don't think hold up in this new world because, pardon the use of the term, but I think the AI eviscerates all of that. So I think then the question is, is what does procurement do? And the skills we need more importantly are a love of data, a comfort with data in many of the ways that we've been talking about, the algorithmic literacy I've been talking about. We call it a business athlete, but understanding the business and having our metrics tied to business outcomes. What we've learned from watching HR, finance, and IT organizations is that they're not. Tied to business outcomes. And if you're not tied to business outcomes, you find yourself very quickly on an island that when the AI comes, you don't get replaced. Your people don't have a soft landing. What I love about procurement is that the more we get embedded in supply chain more broadly, and we are, we are squarely in the supply chain then the more we are tied to business outcomes and the ability to deliver on the customer promise. And so we have to understand our work in that context, not in the context of quote-unquote managing spend or savings. So then we need new communication skills and we need to be able to understand how people learn, how people in-process information. And remember back to my issue with the ESG surveys or the risk surveys, Is like, are people understanding what we're asking them? And these are things that we can't just take it on faith that we sent the survey out, they responded that we actually are any more protected in one way or another. And then just to build on the data science at the risk of making this into a lecture, I don't think we should hire a bunch of data scientists because we've done that for the last 10 years and then they solve a problem, then they get bored, they can't find anything else to do, and then they move on. I think the business has to move to the data science, and we have to get comfortable with the analytics and the creation of intelligence. Now, to bring it back to Gen AI, I actually think that's the second use case that I'm excited about, but it's way more nascent, is using Gen AI for intelligence creation. That's where I think there'll be a big boom, not just for procurement. And that's will allow the business to go to the data science instead of bringing data scientist to the business.
3: Jonathan, for somebody who works within procurement training, personal development, leadership development as well, do you agree with this? Also, how would your training, the way that you approach things need to evolve?
1: The idea of training people to work the tools. I mean, that's still very much current today because companies are so backward on these things. But doing category management, working through a series of tools, we've been doing that using PowerPoint templates for years. Mm -hmm. Still the way 95% of companies will do that. Relying on good, highly skilled people to be able to get breakthroughs. But all of that stuff can sit behind. So we've been doing a lot of work developing the Capella tool, which creates that guided category strategy. So behind the scenes, it's taking those tools and how do you actually... Take that away from the procurement practitioner so there is a system that guides you towards Mm -hmm. that. Link that to data that's out there. Link that to what's happening in a marketplace and you begin to have something very powerful. So you don't need... The procurement expert doing 80% of the spend. I think you still need a handful of people doing the really strategic stuff where you can be really creative and think about how do you use procurement to drive business outcomes. But obviously, all the routine spend will be automated if it hasn't already. But there's that bit in the middle that I think will be handled through some sort of system that will do that. So you won't need that level of procurement training, it will be embedded. So I think the writing's on the wall for that, but it's still got another 20 years to run because. That's how slow this industry moves, I think.
2: Yeah, totally agree. Again, I'm talking about future forward. What's the line that we're marching towards? mm -hmm. Consulting companies in particular are going to spit and make millions upon millions upon millions of dollars doing the same thing we've done for 20 or 30 years. But making money is different than solving tomorrow's problems. And I don't mean that pejoratively, that just means Mm There are different motivations and different outcomes, and that's okay. One can serve today's needs, and one can also serve tomorrow's needs, and that's okay.
1: So if I'm the CPO of a large company, and right now I've got to pull together my procurement strategy for the board, the board wants me to present this early next week, what should my main focus be? 100%
2: getting good at big D digital. So tech, data, analytics, and the requisite investment. Because until you do that, your entire enterprise is at great risk of peril. And the flip side, as I like to say, is then if you're going to do anything on ESG, you better get a handle on what your suppliers are doing or your third parties. And all of those together, it's going to make the enterprise more secure. It's going to get you further on your ESG goals. And oh, by the way, the only way to do that is through digital means. And so I would take that to the board right now, right today, because all of those are board level objectives and in the process of this big digitization We'll get the cost savings. We'll get the efficiency gains and the benefits that have long eluded us as a profession.
3: Eloise, over here in the UK at the time of recording, it's 6pm. What time is it for you over there? Almost 10am. <laughs> Almost 10am. We're thinking about dinner. Yep. You're obviously thinking about breakfast, if you haven't already. Tonight, I'm going to have some takeaways, Jonathan. Nice. Yes, yeah, nice segue like there. It. What would your top three What is the future of procurement and supply chain takeaways be? And you cannot just say tech, data, analytics.
2: Fundamentally, it's people. Business runs on relationships, as I said earlier. And so we can't lose sight of that. No matter how much AI you put in the world, at least until the robot overlords take (laughs) over, (laughs) At this point, we are humans living in a human world and AI can make us better, faster, whatever, fill in the blank. And that's all good, but business runs on relationships. So we can't lose sight of that. So that's number one. I think the other piece I would say is to understand how procurement fits in supply chain and really advocate for breaking down the barriers. Nothing drives me crazier (laughs) than procurement and supply chain thinking that there's two totally different functions in the enterprise when we're all the same. And I don't care if you're direct or indirect or if you manufacture or you don't manufacture or you add third-party logistics or you don't, I don't care. We're all in the same family. So one is get the people upskilled and not only technically and with relationships, but two is understand procurement's role in the enterprise. That's probably a cleaner way to say that. And then my third takeaway is to really take a step back and really think about what it is we're doing. And the fact that we're still talking about spend management also drives me crazy. Apparently, a lot of things drive me crazy. But (laughs) so in procurement, we have this really bad habit of talking in procurement vernacular that nobody else in the enterprise cares about. And so we talk about EPV and we talk about sourcing and category management. And we talk about requisition, that and this and that. And when you go to the business, they just look at you and think, what, why are you here? Why are you making my life difficult? And so another takeaway would be to stop thinking like procurement and start thinking like the business owners that we are. Because Procurement is this equal part of the business as it is the supply chain. And so we are not serving the business. We are not order takers to the business. We are the business as much as anybody else, because the products that we procure or that we source go into the end product, or they are how we create the end product or deliver the end product. And if we don't start thinking like that, and we just keep drawing ourselves into a savings box... We like to put ourselves in a corner in the savings box. Everybody hates the savings box and that diminishes what we do. And yet all I hear is business spend management or spend management or spend control or I'm done with that. Please stop with that. That's my third takeaway. <laughs> it has
1: been so insightful I'm listening to you. And I could sit and listen to you for hours because it's been brilliant. Trade Wars, Pandemics and Chaos is the new book by Dr. Eloise Epstein, published by Carney. If you have not got this book, go and buy it because it will change How You See Procurement. Eloise, it's been a pleasure and a privilege to have you on The Procurement Show. Thank you so much for taking the time.
2: Thank you for having me. It was lovely to talk to you.
0: You've been listening to The Procurement Show. Contact us by email, hello at theprocurementshow.com. Connect with us. On LinkedIn, search for The Procurement Show and on Twitter at Procurement Show. Visit us at theprocurementshow.com. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing, enabling the future of procurement in organizations around the globe. Copyright Positive Purchasing, all rights reserved.
2: Produced by Fresh Air Studios.